Hi, I'm Dr. Morbaja, astrodynamicist, space environmentalist, and associate professor of aerospace engineering and engineering mechanics at the University of Texas at Austin. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Gannigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization. Or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Welcome back. We are returning with Dr. Yan Song. He's an executive at a major Fortune 500 company, a PhD in physical chemistry, physicist. And uh, our focus is on operationalizing cultural development. If you missed the first episode in this series, I have created a short link and uh, that'll take you right to the top of that for that playlist and get your definition there. <laughs> we, we cover the what basically of, of operationalizing uh, cultural development and this time we're going to start digging into the how. How do you actually do this thing and of course this is uh, anybody who's worked with culture and change management and that knows this is like the most complicated difficult thing in the world. Uh, to do. And so I really appreciate Yan's perspective and his systems thinking ability and all the insights that we're going to get into. So please join us for the beginning of the how. What is the first step to take in operationalizing cultural development? Yan, welcome. So how do you operationalize cultural development? Right? To me, unless you can operationalize something, it's not real. It, it's just talking, right? So by operational, I mean, we actually do it, right? Hmm. So what do we talk about what we do are often two different things. And this is actually one of the key steps <laughs> I built into you know, my approach to how do we diagnose that, actually overcome that That's part of the action. So... So, so let's say, you know, over the weekend, I just thought, you know, if someone's listening to this, right, and we dive deep into the first step, you know, without knowing that second, third, fourth right, where step, are we going? a okay. little, you know, off, off-putting, right? So, so maybe we just spend a few minutes, um, you know, talk about the four steps, and then we go into the first step. Uh, right. And I think that's will basically figure out in our hours today. Okay? Sounds good to me. All right. So, so maybe, you know, and that's where, you know, I made some, some, some slides, right? So I think that that could be helpful. So let's, so let me share that, you know, you know, don't worry, this is not going to turn into a, uh, a, a, a uh, you know, slides presentation. I'm just using this as a outline it like that right for for listeners to to have a sort of a picture in our mind when we talk about those deep stuff so um that's um you know i made up this slide just you know based on chance conversation with a friend on friday so so you mean you can tell how dynamic this thing can be um so what this slide says is there's a multiple ways, you know, I call the multiple pathways for cultural development, right? So I'm here, you know, as a good consultant, 
you know, we are good at by four by four quadrants, <laughs> right? So that's uh, essentially two of the, of the trade. So for people who don't like this, you don't have to like it, right? This is just a illustration, right? What do we uh, talk about? Um, I think toward the end of our conversation last time, right? I I started alluding to, right? There are there's really two basic forces, you know, in human dynamics that drives cultural development. And one I call this power, the other one I call love, right? And in business, you know, we obviously stay away from those kind of touchy-feely words. And we use the words of competence for power, right? If, you, if you're gonna do something, you have to have competence. Otherwise you can say, you know, you are so powerful, but if you're not competent, you can't deliver, okay? And otherwise we talk, you know, expectations, right? So what are our expectations ourselves, our expectation of our own employees, right? What the expectation of the organization? That really is driven by our, you know, fundamentally uh, emotions, right? So what do we love uh, at the bottom of, of this? So if you just chart this from, you know, low high on each dimension, like I said, you can, you know, very quickly see some, some things that you recognize at the workplace. And also, you know, the purpose I, you know, using this chart is to, to point out there are a few different pathways how this dynamic could go, right? And, and obviously we're here talking because we wanted to explore this, what do we call optimal development, right? So how can we operationalize our day-to-day -day activity in such a way that, you know what, as we make money, our people develop, right? So then we'll be win-win. So everybody wants that. So, you know, I, I represent this, you know, when people started uh, at the workplace, let's say out of college, they're really very innocent, right? Um, you know, they, they are certainly not, um, uh, um, you know, have any sort of very, very few anyway, has any kind of a, a bad intentions, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they typically have very good intentions, but I wouldn't say they're competent, right? At the workplace. So their goal is to become expert. And our job as managers, you know, business owners, executives is try to facilitate that optimal development. But if we are honest with ourselves, oftentimes what happens is, you know, one of the two things happens. And um, at least, you know, this optimal development happens very rarely. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't aspire to it, right? And that's why we're talking here, right? Uh, what that optimal development looks like, how do we make it more likely? So nudging things toward that. But before we can do that, we have to acknowledge what really happens in most cases. And that's our step one, right? So confront the brutal reality. Yeah. Why isn't the universe as nice, beautiful, right? And loving as we, every one of us wanted to be. 
So I think there are two additional dynamics going on here. And I use this simple diagram to illustrate. I think especially nowadays, right, coming out of colleges or, or whatever uh, background come, you know, even our, you know, my son, you know, is going to college this year. And when I talk to school counselor, right, they all encourage their kids to have high expectations themselves. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I think that's um, good advice. But at the same time, I just we just need to recognize that their competence is not yet in sync or aligned with their expectations. I, I'm talking about the normal high school kids mm. today, right? Just the way our education systems sort of coach them, turn out. And they typically come out of high school with higher expectations themselves than their competence would justify. And you can say that's normal, right? So you rather, you know, have a little higher expectation than, than, than you know, shortchange yourself. Uh, but there is a risk. And I've seen again, again, young people come into the workplace with such high expectations, then just got totally shocked and stunted by how, quote, quote, bad the work environment is. And some of them have a tendency to turn into very angry and resentful human beings. And that's when they could become, I call them populists. Essentially, they got so riled up and they became a ball of emotions and they lose the focus and the ability to focus on what they need to focus on, which is develop their competencies to match their expectations. And, and you know, I don't have the, Exaggerate, right? But I think this dynamics plays out not just at the workplace, um, more widely in society. And, and once again, you know, as a scientist, I I look at the saying, this is a phenomenon, right? So we just need to recognize there is a a dynamic potential pathway, right? That people could go this way. And it's not a rare pathway. So this is why I put a big arrow there. So, you know, it's like the water will flow from high place to low place. This goes most easily. And so this, once again, I, th I think this experience is not uh, unusual and it has the consequences. It generate a dynamic or dilemma at the workplace that we must take care of as, you know, managers, executives, business owners, right? Because otherwise um, it can derail your business very easily. So that's part of the consideration when we discuss about optimal development. It's not just a pie in the sky, right? Hmm. It's need to be anchored in reality. And another pathway, and usually, you know, after people gone back and forth, 
between these two lower quadrants, right? Whether or not they want to keep their innocence or whether they become uh, populist, right? So um, sooner or later, most people will, whether they like it or not, they will be coerced into actually honing their basic competency, right? Whether whatever trade they are in, um, they will start learning the trade and becoming better at it, right? But most of those people I call professionals, right? Once they start focus on the trade and, and, and become a specialist, right? Whether it's computer programming, you know, logistics, you know, uh, business operations, they become professionals, right? There's certainly a long track uh, 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 to go with that. But typically those people will be hardworking, except, you know, many people are working, um, uh, may more, we more than 40 hours a week these days. That's not uncommon at all. So they're sweating. I put a, a big sweat <laughs> down there. Um, they are certainly developing in terms of, you know, competencies, but are they in love, right? Are they really enthralled by what they do? Uh, you know, are, you know, are there, uh, mind connect to their heart. I would say there's often a sizable gap there, right? So at certain point, uh, some professionals will actually turn their attention to say, well, I'm actually become pretty good and competent in what I do, right? I'm, uh, I'm performing consistently in terms of, you know, what need to, to do to, to, to contribute to the business, right? I mean, even be, you know, networking and, and you know, uh, with my industry peers and, and being valued, right? Develop a certain reputation. Um, that's when they start asking themselves, you know, what else I want? And, um, and that's where I'll say they do a, a slight pivot from competency focus, I say, you know, more of a love focus, right? What is, what is in it for me? Um, and if they ask this question too early, right? Before they develop you know, sufficient competency, they turn into populists. Um, but sooner or later, they do need to ask this question. And, and then there is a pathway there to go into what I call expert, right? Not only I'm good at it, but I love what I do. This is my definition of expert, right? You know, there's a saying, the secret of happiness in life is do what you love and love what you do. But to, to, to achieve that, you need to be an expert and nobody is born an expert. So essentially I use this diagram to illustrate, right? There's a lot of complexity, if you will, right? Certainly experiences, knowledge, um, wisdom to be gained here. 
So you know you uh, you can get much closer to what I call optimal development than most people realize and and and, and actually do. So so I think there's a lot of value uh, paying attention to this, and and imagine that if you can just turn this sort of right angle slightly to a slope, uh, you are gaining the quality of life here. And I'm, I'm not joking it, it, because that's how people spend their life day and day and day, day out. You know, most of the people I work with are hardworking professionals. They <clears throat> really put in a lot of sweat and effort and they're good hearted people. Um, but I think they can benefit um, from learning some of the things we talk about so that they can bring themselves closer to optimal development so that their heart and the mind can a little closer, you know, their power and love can come a little closer and that will enhance the quality of their, their life they are living. So that's why we're doing this. Okay. Uh, All right. I'm reading a book right now, Yan, called Don't Waste Your Talent. And it, it echoes this professionals to experts shift, yeah. uh, particularly people in their late 30s, 40s, like me, yeah. uh, who have developed that competence and then go, I hate this, <laughs> you know, or I'm not in love with it. And, uh, and what do I do now? And I was really surprised at, at how common that uh, experience or feeling was of, uh, okay, yeah, I've worked myself into this position. <laughs> I'm employed, I do well at what I do, but I'm, I don't love it, right? And yeah. gosh, there's got to be something more than this. And, uh, and some people try and push that down <laughs> and put off the, uh, the, the struggle to get over to the expert area here or, or increase those expectations. <clears throat> and it works for five to seven years and then something explodes, their marriage explodes or something, right? Yeah. Uh, or they, they quit their job abruptly <laughs> and freak out, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I can yeah. see definitely uh, if you could, if you could, as a leader, help people get onto that optimal development path uh, early and show yeah. them, look, not only here's what you should be doing. How about that? <laughs> here's what you should yeah. be doing that gives yeah. it what's in it for you. And you can be of value to everybody else. Uh, work on not only the competence, because everybody seems to get that, right? But that there's this yeah. other factor here. Uh, the expectations or the love that you could be working on also. Like if somebody, my first three years out of college, I worked in the power industry and yeah. I developed competency, but I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and at the end I quit <laughs> and I went to be a plant manager when I was 25. Right. Yeah. I went, I went after something that I felt I loved, which I had training in, but not much competency. It turned out. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot to learn about being a factory manager. So, Yeah. So I could see this uh, happening at, at different levels to, in uh, people's careers. Yeah. So once again, you know, I just made it up, you know, um, on, on Saturday <laughs> based on chance <laughs> conversation with uh, with a friend, and, right. and and it just struck me, you know, um, you know, it, it it illustrate the sort of predicament of challenges for many many people, especially mm -hmm. at workplaces. So. And I use this as a as an intro, right? It's like a this is a visual. This is a vision. You can you know hold your mind when we you know sort of go through these four steps, right? I mean, essentially, 
you know, I, I think in session one, we talked about a lot about the what, right? And then you, know, you, you, you ask a whole bunch of brilliant questions. So we explored, you know, what from different angles. And, and, but I think we deliberately hold back into the how, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, and now we're starting getting into the how. And like I said, uh, before we dive into the first step of the how, I want people to have this, you know, picture, right? Where we're going, why we're going the way that we are, we're going at it, right? So if you hold that, you know, sort of a previous image in your, in your, in your mind, the first step I recommend I call set up camp because reality is rarely as, you know, pretty, neat, right, smooth as you would like to be or as is taught in university classrooms, right? So like I said, there was a, there is a danger or risk that people will get knocked out of their balance right away. And I certainly, it did to me. When I first, you know, started, I was just totally <laughs> thrown off balance. So what I learned is that we needed to spend time to actually um, sort of set up camp and situate ourselves in the real organizational settings, which is not as pretty as we would like to be, but we needed to accept and embrace. Uh, otherwise, like I said, we, we, we would turn into populists mm. and that's not going to do ourselves any good. Uh, so that's basically the first step. You know, the, I, you know, we'll go into some, some material. I, I, you know, there's some excellent resources mm. help us to learn what the real organization looks and feels like. And, um, and I, to be honest, I wish I have learned this in college, but nobody taught me. Right. And um, um, even today, I rarely saw even, you know, business training, you know, whatever you could find that actually uh, do a good job, do justice to how people understand what an organization is like. Because without that firm grounding, whatever you do, right, is kind of detached from reality. Mm -hmm. And that's what we had a little bit of issue with that Harvard Business Review article, right? <laughs> so it yeah. grabbed on certain correlations, then you immediately jumped to conclusion that you can just act on those correlations and hope to improve organizational culture. And in my experience, it backfires every single time because you have not even grounded yourself in reality. Then you start shooting those balloons. It crashes 100% of the time. Yeah, that, I've, just I've seen this, Jan. Um, yeah. Every founder or department manager uh, has a mental movie running in their head about mm. what's happening. Yeah. out there right with yeah. their people yeah. and doing things and that and we, we go in at cold star and uh, map these processes and check like 
even is what we found out in the interviews with the employees the truth about what's going on and get those process maps straightened out so that they are correct it is the reality and it's always different there are always big divergences that cause efficiencies and and all kinds of trouble uh yeah between that mental movie that was running (laughs) in the in the leader's head and the reality of what's happening and if you don't understand the reality like you're talking about uh you're going to go in the wrong direction Absolutely, because you then you'll be, you know, basically doing faking things, right? So, and pretty soon, we all know once your ideas depart from reality, you basically, you know, put yourself in the air without much support. And guess what? Gravity will grab, fall you down. <laughs> I mean, there right. you, you simply cannot defy gravity. I mean, you can you can you can boast it. You can you know whatever. <laughs> You know, your own mind, you think you wish you can. You can even write a, you know, fictional novel about it, but you can't live that. Right. And, and here we talk about operations. I mean, how do we live it? That's what I mean by operationalize. Every time a, a uh, potential client comes to me who's a founder or something and says, we've already got it figured out, we understand what our problems are. I'm like, oh, this probably is not a fit. (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) If you think you figured it out on your own self-diagnosis, no. (laughs) Right? I don't even do that for my own company. I bring in outside people to have a look at it because I know I'm not smart enough. I'm blind to to what's going on. I've got my own mental movie of what's actually happening. I need need outside, uh, independent thought, right? Looking at this thing or observation looking at this thing. Um, I like how you use the geography or outer crust. You also use a cave uh, imagery, right? Which I use a lot in sales training. I think about uh, you're inside a dark cave and that's the prospect's mind and their ideas and values and, and what's going on. And it's, you've got a flashlight and you're like shining this thing around. And you're like, oh, there's a pool of water over there and a stalactite over there. Oh, sleeping bear. <laughs> Better watch out for that one, right? And I think there's parallels here with, uh, with what you're doing. Oh, yes. So we'll go into the detail of step one, mm-hmm. right? That's sure. the goal today. So, but before we do that, let me, you know, say, mm-hmm. you know, once we have sort of set up camp, right, situated ourselves in reality, then the second step is actually enter, I call it enter new territory, right? So um, that you know, a lot of people, once they really see reality and situated themselves, then they despair. Then they say, mm-hmm. well, it is what it is. It's never going to change. Mm. And, I, and that's not a rare phenomenon either. So people sort of resign themselves to whatever circumstances they are in. And you heard this word, you know, it's a, there's a term in positive psychology called learned helplessness. You've heard of this? Yes. It's, yeah. it's pretty rampant. Yeah. So, and that characterized the mindset of the people who, you know, no longer innocent, right? They actually learned the hard lessons, but then they resigned to fate. They basically give up. And this second step is essentially introduce 
a new light and a tool to allow people, you know, overcome their current circumstances. But they can only overcome if they're willing to adventure into new territory, right? They, they need to change their mindset to say, well, it is what it is. So there's nothing I can do. You've got to be willing to go beyond that. And I call it embrace human complexity and you know, looking for some new science. Uh, and to me, at least for me, the most exciting breakthrough in science of 20th century is this, mental models. Mm. Okay, we'll go into that, you know, in the in the, in the, in the uh, you know next uh, um, episode. What it has overcome is, you know, philosophers, scientists, you know, theologians spent, I'll say, centuries, debating about what is subject, what is object. You know, there's whole philosophical books written about it, but they're all siloed. So if you talk about object, just object, subjects, just subject, rarely they could combine them in an organic manner. And at this mental model, I see is the first step that we actually have understood reality in a new light. This is what I call under new territory. This is to me, it's the most exciting thing I've learned in, in my entire life. Okay, I, you know, I've, I've been interested in philosophy, science for a long time. I've read, you know, many, many things, but instead of putting into practical use, and this is just enormously exciting. I learned this in early 2000, and, and right after, you know, spiral dynamics, you mentioned that, right? So. I was interested in uh, those things. And I would say, you know, Spire Dynamics still primarily a philosophy. Uh, mm. I didn't go into the practice as much as, uh, as it needs to in order to make an impact. But this mental model and system thinking is just, just, you know, like I said, it was the biggest thrill I, I had in my life when, when I came upon this. So that's what we're going to talk about. Second step is, you know, how do we enter new territory in the reality sense, right? Not just what's on the surface, but what's really happening in the universe. That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Then after that, you know, it's one thing get excited, right? It's another you actually translate it in, into some something that you live with. And that's another significant step. And I call it develop competence. You know, so after I probably spend in the base camp, I would say, I don't know, five, seven years, right? You know, looking, turn left is ugly, turn right is terrible, right? Look up and down, there was no hope. <laughs> so that's the kind of feeling when you're in, in the base camp. But still, you need to you know, set up a camp there. But then, you know, through, you know, spire dynamics, system thinking, all those things, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I start entering the new territory. 
that takes me, I don't know, you know, three years also. And then I start try to apply this, try to, uh, you know, take, you know, improve myself. In you know, how do I live a life like this? Not just see light at another tunnel. I actually walking towards it. So that required develop new competence. I will see that takes me another three, five years, you know, making a lot of mistakes, you know, um, at the end of quite a few witch hunts. <laughs> okay, so all those things happen. Um, but you need that in order to sharpen your skills. And this is where I, I like uh, Robert Keegan's uh, words, you know, called immunity to change. Hmm. And so this is not just something that you think, ah, this is so great. You know, it should just be obvious to everyone, but the, the reality is it's not. And, and, and you are the ones has to be willing to embrace this as the universe, as Jason's big T, right? And be willing to practice it and, and, and give birth to it. And that requires a lot of practice and mastering. So after that, then you are really in a position to, I call the big claim is to transform culture, right? Uh, you're still doing this from a bottom up perspective, but certainly you can now start making much bigger impact than you were able to previously. So um, I call this, you know, op optimize cultural development through an ecology of power and love, right? So when we call something ecology, it's no longer just a concept, right? It's no longer just a, even a methodology, but it's actually part of the living and breathing of your life, right? The environment. So, so mm -hmm. this is just part of the ecosystem. That's what it means. So we'll, we'll get into that. You know, how do you do that on a day-to-day -day basis? So, so, so this is sort of a, just provide the overview, right? The essential steps, um, how to optimize a workplace cultural development. And I would say, no matter how bad you think your current workplace environment is, this applies. I guarantee you, you will be able to improve it and not just for other people. And I would say first and foremost for yourself. And, and in fact, if, you, if, if it doesn't improve your, your own life quality, forget about helping others. <laughs> so that's uh, you know, just my own experience and, and, and I believe in it. So you first of all have to try this yourself and, and, and prove to yourself it works for you then you, you, you will be able to find some opportunity to help others. Awesome. Well, okay. I can say, Ian, uh, I appreciate you sharing the, how long it took you to develop this, uh, particularly without many guides, right, to help you. You're just sort of stumbling on things or working on things. Uh, I think oh, maybe, oh, I, maybe I'm only at step two. I was helped. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, okay. were, there are a lot of people helping me. Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, this community, um, 
systems, you know, there's a, a called Society for Organizational Learning, mm. uh, Peter Singhi, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Otto okay. Sharma, you know, started that. Okay. And I got acquainted with that group, mm. uh, like I said, uh, after 2000. <laughs> and um, you know, like that's when I really started entering new territory, I call it. Mm-hmm. It was... Oh yeah, without that help, I don't think I can do this myself. Mm. Once again, okay. you know, we all helped. We all yeah. helped in one form or another. So um, no one can do this alone. Right. But still, right. it takes individual yeah. commitment, you know, commitment <laughs> yeah. and courage yeah. to yeah. to 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 do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I yeah I found out about some of these things and the systems thinking approach that it was so different than what, what I was taught. Uh, and I'm still learning about it, uh, researching, finding more um, lectures and, and uh, courses and whatnot. And like you brought up last time, there's more than one approach to systems thinking, um, which is disturbing because <laughs> it means that I have to learn even more. Uh, but, but, you know, <clears throat> and you get this stuff and you're like, well, ah, how am I going to actually use it out there in the real world? And now I see the uh, the process for doing that here in this slide. So that's yeah, great. we're starting developing the process. And I would never claim, you know, mm-hmm. I've developed, you know, yeah, figured all it all the process. out. <laughs> you can just, yeah. you know, follow the script. And in, in fact, it's not a technical discipline mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to yeah. take this into heart and, and practice yourself. Right, right. Okay. okay. So, so now let's turn into step one, right? Um, that's sort of a situate ourselves in, in an organizational setting, um, not superficially, but um, but at the level where we can actually operate, right? So, so I love this, you know, Mama's hot springs image. I mean, it's it's been in my head for over twenty years, and and it's still feels fresh to me <laughs> because this is how I felt um, when I, you know, working in an organization, right? Because what you are running into is all those kind of very hard edges. You constantly feel people are playing politics. There's so much bureaucracy. There's so many backstabbing, even, you know, the kind of things, you know, you described uh, earlier on. And I don't think any organization is immune to this. And, and this certainly, um, you know, you were honest with ourselves, this is happening all the time. But the way I, you know, learn how to, you know, not accept this, uh, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, they are just, you know, never going to change. I do think we can change it, you know, uh, slowly, step by step. But the thing is that we needed to understand where those things come from and learn to not to take it too personally. Hmm. I, I think, and this image helps me to do that. So if, you, if we think about life, right, as those sort of trickles, right, that come out of volcano, come out of a hot spring, right, that's the source of life. 
And, you know, I, I don't know if you've been to Yellowstone. I've been, you know, if you look at this spring, what's trickling out is teeny, teeny little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And it just oozes out. And the closer you get to the mouth of the spring, even the, those, you know, uh, minerals became shinier, right? Because they are newer. As you move to the edges, it became more and more, you know, sort of crumbly, right? Lost the luster of life and became rugged, cracked, you know, all those things. And I just thought to myself, oh my God, this is exactly what happens in organizations. There is a spring in any organization, any business that is generating life. But then there is this huge masses that's just sort of represent the life from yesterday. Hmm. And if you just look at this mechanically, right? just look at the mass itself that life generated from yesterday dominate the landscape hmm. so if you accept the life right if you embrace life in totality you would not get too angry about wow, why there's so much life from yesterday. And I think that's what I take away from that book. You know, I mentioned in the previous episode, right? Uh, written by Carl Sagan called Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. And that's what we mean, right? As human beings, we, descent from a long, long history of ancestry. And, you know, there are things that's been done previously. We don't necessarily repeat them or even condone, but at that time, it might be necessary, right? So because it's just like with ourselves, we can't, demand our ancestors to be perfect, neither our way. And in the contemporary organizational life, the same thing is happening all the time, right? The evolution has, hasn't just stopped. It just, you know, sort of happened once then moved out. It continues. It's just like this hot spring, it continues. So if we are going to nurture the source of life, we've got to be able to deal with this geography, right? Even though it sounds so, you know, ugly or Overwhelming. redundant, <laughs> right? Yeah. And even, you know, threatening, but we must not be afraid. We must be able to, I call set up camp in this reality. So that's the value of this image for me, right? Obviously I'm a very visual guy. So, so this image means a lot to me. 
uh, you know, now different people may uh, have different way of uh, uh, sort of, you know, experiencing things. So, so that's why I put this uh, image uh, here. All right, so, so the resource I want to use, um, and I find this work is just excellent. It's written by um, uh, Barry Oshry. Uh, the title of the book is called Seeing Systems. And I show this to many, many people. I haven't found one person telling me that this is just totally nonsense. <laughs> okay, so um, they may not advertise this, right? So uh, they may not put this on um, uh, on, on their department department webpage <laughs> or. Um, but if you have worked in a business environment at all. Um, I think you will soon recognize this. Um, it certainly capture a large piece of truth what's going on. Uh, so let's just start, you know, from the bottom, right? And, you know, those people feel very, very oppressed and there's no question. And, you know, once again, right, they came out of college, came out of grad school, and they have very high expectation of themselves and the environment they would be in. They think, you know, the environment will continue to nurture them, right? Create a great opportunity, encourage them to, to rise even higher, even though, you know, they probably have not a good idea what that higher mean, <laughs> right? So, and, and, and then, they came into this, you know, remember this image, you know, mammoths, hot springs, right? They just get crushed. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people get crushed by, by this hard shell of, uh, of life, right? So it's, it feels heavy, it feels difficult, it feels painful. And, and then um, the tendency is that, you know, became a, I call the populist, right? So um, they feel very vulnerable. Nobody cares about them. Nobody sees them, right? And um, and then they start basically complaining and blaming, and um, basically conclude it's it's just you know the bad bosses, bad CEOs. Um, that's doing this to me. So, and that's when, you know, group think sets in, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, I have yet seen an organization that's free of group think. Um, I think that's always there. And, and, and I believe there always will be there. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's, it's part of the phenomena that we need to observe, right? So once again, I totally understand and emphasize where uh, people come from. At the same time, I think we also need to recognize that's not going to lead us to a better place. 
if we just um, stay there, right? So then let's go to the top, uh, then we'll come back to the middle. If you go beyond the pack talk at all employee meetings, right? Monthly staff meetings, all those sort of official occasions where the big boss will put some shining jewels, right? On the clothes and, and some, 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 some numbers to, to whine about, you know, all those things. If you get to know a senior executive, um, I call it in their bedroom clothes, right? Day to day, they are in big stress. <laughs> They're carrying this huge responsibility and many of them have very little idea what they're doing. And so in a way, this responsibility, this challenge, this unpredictability, this risk is not their own creation, but that's their job. So how do they deal with it? Right? So, and they cannot delegate because you know, if you're the if you're the president of the United States, you are the one need to make big calls on you know the latest crisis, right? Um, all those things you simply cannot delegate. You, you can ask for advice. That's why there's team of advisors. All those things, but at the end of the day, it's your call. And once again, nobody's perfect. No president, no CEO is perfect. And if they are honest with themselves, they make more mistakes than, than deliver winners. And then you live with the consequence of their mistakes. So anyone think that those people in the corner office is in just comfy chair and uh, drinking open, <laughs> uh, that's simply not true. And they might choose to do that for a day or even a week, and then their world crashes. So it's a, a very stressful job. And, and I've, you know, I can't claim that, that you know, I've um, known, uh, you know, a lot of them, but I've certainly known some of them. And um, my observation is that uh, they're always challenged and um, none of them is what I call competent to do that. And, 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 and almost all of them are trying. And, and so um, that's all I can say. And, and the only thing they have is try to delegate as much as they can, right? So, you know, if, if Jason, you, you are my VP of operations, you take care of this, okay? Don't just bring bad news to me. Take care of something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, that's how they operate. And they had to operate that way. So um, uh, that's the view from the top, if you will. And then if you are middle manager, right? If you're a department head, if you are uh, even a division vice president, uh, what are you going to do, right? So you're going to, first of all, you, you're going to deliver what the chief executive 
ask of you, right? Because that's how this ship can stay together. Uh, if you don't do your, your, your job, then the whole ship just sink. So you need to deliver that. At the same time, you've got a large team, right? People at the bottom who is far from what you say, you know, in textbooks, in, you know, even, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, uh, even the things that you like to boast about. But, but mm -hmm. I, you know, when you close doors, you know, by yourself and, uh, you know, you know what's going on. So to connect between your obligations, commitment, yeah, to top management and the sort of dissatisfaction, the, 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 the anger, right? The frustration uh, coming from your people is one heck of a job. You feel like you are living in a crucible. So what are we gonna do, right? You know, to deliver this for the boss, I have to do this to my people. Hmm. If I want to be nice to my people, I have to let go some of the things that my boss demand me to do. I think every middle manager have experienced that and continue to experience that. And so they really have to, to a certain degree, um, live their lives wishy-washy. And, and this has nothing to do with bad character. You know, if we are system thinkers, we can see the system that making them to do that. In, in fact, that's the essential service they are providing. Wishy-washy is an essential service. You know, <laughs> that may sound, you know, really bad, but that's the reality. And if you're a middle manager, you're not good at, if you're not good at wishy-washy, I doubt you will be a successful middle manager. Yep, I'm certainly not good in that role. <laughs> For example, <laughs> tend yeah. to pick sides and stick with yeah. it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but then once out. again, <laughs> yeah. Once yeah. again, I'm not saying you can not nudge towards a better way, right? Less mm -hmm. wishy-washy, more authenticity, right? And 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 sort of, you know, going back to the initial picture I put it together, right? I think there's huge amount of room for reconciling, you know, aligning our heart and the mind, right? It can always come closer, but I don't think it can be perfect. So once again, the reason that we need to define what the perfection is, is because we want to move towards it. Right. This sounds maybe a little too intellectual for people, but well, we have to have a target. That's the science, actually. Yeah. That's science, yeah. right? So, 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 and the perfect example. I'm a physicist, right? Perfect example. When when Galileo, right, hypothesized the free fall, the body free fall, that right? the high school physics you learn, right? He didn't have a vacuum to to prove that. Mm. He hypothesized in order for him to have a 
theory, a model, so that he can understand other range of phenomena. And the same thing here is, we hypothesize a optimal development, not because we think that's physically, literally mm -hmm. achievable, but because we can understand all the other imperfections and moving towards the perfection. Okay, and I, I remember Russell Aikoff talked about that law of free falling bodies as well in, in a lecture. Uh, and his thing was that it was a, it was set in a vacuum. Well, that's great, but what actually exists in a vacuum? Yeah, right. I guess space, I guess, but nothing really, because there's always something else around it or containing it or, or in it. Um, so when I looked at this slide first, yeah, like uh, this is about a week since our last recording, uh, and you shared this with me pretty early on. I, I. This freaked me out. I, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a terrible condition of isolated, fearful territory, protecting, you know, wolf marking territory kind of people who I thought actually only have the goal of personal survival. Um, they, and they kind of do, but I also see that they are actually helping the organization in the best way that they can right now. Um, but what this looked like to me was stratification, uh, which is analytic thinking. Right, it's slicing things into pieces, uh, and then I went, "Oh, oh dear! If we tried to solve a problem at one level, like let's go deal with the folks at the bottom and make mm -hmm. them feel less oppressed, I don't think that would actually help the organization." Right? No. Um, from no. a from a systems thinking approach, this these components all have to fit together. Yeah. Um, so, for you, what then is the organizing principle? Is it or is is, is the purpose of the system? Um, say all the components together is to drive a car and transport a family or something like that. All this organization um, and these components, what's its purpose? Is it to develop to that, that sort of mythical vacuum goal that we've got about what the perfect culture should be like uh, with love and competency or, or is it something else? Yeah, we're going to come to that at step four, right? So <laughs> oh, okay. we're just beginning, right? So, all right. Um, you know, essentially, um, we are trying to say, how do we integrate our hearts and the mind, mm -hmm. right? Our, okay. our, 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 our power and the love. And, and, and we can't just wish for a demand mandate that, right? This is a, actually, it's a human development process. Mm -hmm. So how do we develop this step by step? Right in a okay. real world environment, because you know we need to eat, right? We need right. the money in our pocket. We need a, you know a house to live in. So how do we do all that in the context of our 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 day to day living? And right. that's what. But we can't get on the right track without acknowledging the starting point. I mean, this is why I call set up. Yeah, this is the brutal yeah. truth, right? Yeah, right. this is the brutal of, of truth. The, uh, the pieces yes. of the crust. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I usually I'll call it, so. you know, confront the brutal fact, right? So, and and for that reason, because it is brutal. And, um, and if you don't, if this turn your stomach off and, yeah. you know, somehow you wanted to just sort of don't want to think about it and just walk away, that actually gets you off 
reality. Mm-hmm. And, and then from that point on, no matter what you do, it you yeah. will never hit the road. I mean, so so I you know this is not a. So I think people oftentimes people become very sentimental and mm-hmm. and I understand because you know we are people, right? We are sentimental. Uh, yet, if we want to improve our uh, circumstances, if we wanted to develop you know, real, right, um, yeah, the big T, the Jason's big T sense, then we cannot turn away from reality. And, and, and so I, I took that confront the brutal uh, fact from the book written by Jim Collins, right, which was the number one selling business book ever. Right. I think it sold some, some, you know, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 million copies uh, called From Good to Great, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the, um, actually, he has a three-step process. And the worst, first step is also confront the brutal truth effect. So, and this is just something um, I find it absolutely necessary. Because if you go into an organization, whether you work there or you go there, you know, as a consultant to help. And if you don't see this, if you don't recognize this, I, I doubt that you will do any valuable work for your clients or, um, <laughs> you know, do any sort of favor for yourself because um, you will be building up fantasies. Um, so this is not to say once again, right? Um, this is all to it, right? So our, our second step is say, okay, now how can we do something about it, right? But you certainly have to acknowledge this is happening. And, and I, you know, I told you last time, you know, early on in my career, once I realized this, experienced some of this, I will quit and find another company. Right. <laughs> you right. know, we're hoping that, you know, there's no such right. thing, right? It's fixed over here. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, but that's it's fantasy. Fixed. Yeah. yeah, it's fixed, fantasy. you know. Yeah. And uh, after, you know, I think after my third, fourth job, I start <laughs> realizing, no, it's not going to change. Mm. Um, so um, eventually I, I accepted that this, this is a part of the reality uh, this is why i li- like that mammoth house springs right mm-hmm. you know you can't just like that mm-hmm. you know oozing right the the, the 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 things come out of earth you have to embrace the whole landscape otherwise you can't get to the oozing part mm. okay so, and we've got righteously done to customers down there as, a, as another factor. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> I kind of made a joke about this. You know, we've heard uh, lots of business owners say something like, this would be a great business if it only it were for the darn customers, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? It's, so, and, and I've got a, a friend who's actually our CMO, uh, Stephen Monaco, who's an IBM futurist. And uh, his, his big thing is voice of customer programs. Um, and... So, you know, it's the opposite of this, right? It's, 
the, the symptoms of feeling ignored, frustrated, betrayed, powerless, et cetera. It's, what can you do to reach out to them and, and help them feel heard and, and give feedback on the products and, and develop something more useful? <clears throat> um, so that is going on as well. Um, okay. Yeah, another way, another way looking at this, I mean, how much worse can you be, right? <laughs> I mean, there's the upside is, mm -hmm. You can you can easily make improvement to this, right? <clears throat> yeah. So instead of just resign to it, you can find opportunities that you can make improvement and make a big difference. Right. Right. Okay. So what's what's our next step here then? Um, now that we've sort of seen the lay of the land, or at least some areas in which we can gauge what's going on, uh, look at the crust and assess in these areas, uh, what's happening? What, what's next? Yeah, I just wanted to mention, you know, a few mm -hmm. work, right? So, yeah. so like I said, we're going to go into the second step is introduce some, you know, I call the most significant scientific breakthroughs of 20th century mm -hmm. to say how I believe that can help us, you know, um, uh, get out of this sort of ugly um, uh, situation at least be able to manage it, right? Go beyond that. But but I also want to mention some work that sort of paved the way, right? This yeah. is, you know, there's a whole, I call the soft um, um, business literature, right? Talking a lot about uh, different things. I think conceptually it's got a lot of good uh, nuggets, right? And, um, but none I actually have reach a level of operations, right? So it's not something that you can just, you know, take this and apply to what you do. And so, but but I, I do uh, want to acknowledge that there's some, some, some really good work, right? One of the things I, um, I, 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 I like to recommend to use is this five dysfunctions of a team. Um, at one time, one of the Fortune 500 companies I worked for used this book as their sort of a textbook for leadership development. So all of their uh, director and, and above executives, you know, including all the VPs, uh, has to go through a six months development program. Uh, and they use this book as the anchor to sort of try to develop their competency, right? In terms of how to lead. And, you know, the insight there, I think it's uh, it's a very valuable. Um, the fact is that if a business is struggling, where do you start, right? Diagnosing. You look at, you know, why they're not producing the results, right? In order to, um, to excel. And, and pretty soon you will find the reason there's no result delivered because there's a lack of accountability, right? They all blame each other. They all point to each other saying, well, so-and-so isn't do their part. So there's accountability problem. But then if you dig level deeper, why there isn't accountability? Because nobody bothered to set them up. So there's not real commitment. So why 
then you you can just go from there, right? Why there's no commitment? Because there's a conflict between different personality, different leaders, right? They couldn't come to agree what their commitment is. And why, why they couldn't overcome those conflicts because they don't trust each other, okay? So mm-hmm. those are pretty common sense. And I will say this actually is a causal. causal. This is more than correlations. Hmm. So this is already, I will say, half step, you know, beyond what that Harvard Review, uh, Harvard Business Review article talked about. Hmm. Um, uh, of course, this still falls short because nobody ever explained how do you create trust. Right. And if you read all the literature, <laughs> they all raved about how important trust is. <laughs> but the recommendations, strategies, practices for creating trust is, is minimal, if, if, if anything at all. So, so then, you, then you are basically saying, well, it would be great if we can create trust. Then you have this, have that, have that, have that. Except we don't know how to create trust, right? So, but so so I I still wanted you know um, you know basically give credit where credit is due. I think there's still quite a bit of value here. Like I said, you start laying some causal relationships. Um, it just didn't go f- far enough. I call it uh, in order to. Uh, really get to the bottom of this, and 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 only then you can operationalize this. And similar things, you know, the best-selling business book ever in history, right? From from good to great. Um, it is, you know, it showed a lot of statistical data, mm-hmm. and even you know, identify some patterns, right? How you can become uh, effective leaders. And um, great insights, but how to get there? Jim Collins didn't see that, hmm. and I doubt he knew, he knew how to do that. So, um, so I think that's once again, I didn't mean this as a criticism. Actually, I wanted to to acknowledge and pay mm-hmm. tribute to, to to those earlier early pioneers, right? Because you have to start somewhere. Uh, yeah, nobody can figure out the whole thing um, uh, right off the bat. So um, I think those provide some some clues in terms of um, uh, where we should be looking. Yeah. So, so that why you know I, I talked about power and love hmm. and uh, because I have to go beyond the trust, right? I have to ask what generates trust. I think the combination of power and love generate trust. And 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 whole bunch of other good things. <laughs> so so this is why you know, getting to the root causes is, is critical mm-hmm. because otherwise you're just dealing with secondary, you know, um, uh, phenomena. Right. And, um, you know, it's like squeezing balloons, right? You, yeah, you might be able to make some improvement here, mm-hmm. but then something else gets worse over here. 
and 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 if I look at the overall, right? I mean, I've been through so many, um, you know, big program. You call it, you know, um, um, whether employee empowerment, right? Um, customer engagement, uh, you know, all kind of a big cultural initiatives uh, that 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 that, that companies. Um, um, spun up and drive through every, you know, five to seven years by my statistics. <laughs> mm. So they refresh those things. Yeah. Um, and typically they start with a big fanfare mm -hmm. and had some, I would say, you know, temporary short-term benefits, but it just peters out mm. um, because it hasn't gone to the fundamental operating system, which is what the culture is, right? So you can you can put some bandages, um, you know, uh, apply a fresh layer of paint, um, but um, unless you get to the fundamentals, uh, it's hard to sustain. Uh, and that's where system thinking is coming from. And my definition of system thinking is, what is sustainable? Hmm, okay. See, before we had had, had this uh, discussion, Yan, I had thought the way for the leader to work on developing trust was from the top down of the Lencioni pyramid here. They, yeah. The leader commits to getting certain results. They take yeah. the accountability. They, uh, they commit to it. They show everyone that it's okay to have some conflict and here's how to resolve it without destroying each other. And that helps develop the trust. Uh, and then the, the employee is coming up from the bottom, right? They see from the top and that's a hell of a lot of work, which is still the case. I think the truth is the leader does have to do a hell of a lot of work in order to develop that trust. But then the, the employee can move up the pyramid. Um, but you're saying that that's not enough, that, the, that they're, it's not quite causal in that way. Well, it might, that would be great, right? So I'm not trying to <laughs> yeah. minimizing the impact of, uh, mm -hmm. of, 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 of top management, right? You certainly have, you know, huge impact on this. But, but if we, you know, go back to Jason's big T, right? Mm -hmm. The big T doesn't belong to top executives yeah alone. yeah it's not the just big, the executives yeah otherwise right? otherwise yeah. it's not a big t yeah because it's not inclusive so, enough yeah it's not right. it's not the whole hot springs exactly the territory the environment yeah also also if if it's a big t big t does not have names mm -hmm. right so because it's one big thing t, yeah big t is a part of the universe and right. anyone can tap into it right so so I don't want to minimize, I certainly recognize, you know, if, if, if a top exec became a system thinker, right, truly practices, not just talk about it, certainly have a larger impact on an organization than a employee at the bottom. There's no question. But what are we talking about here is not say, it only help you if you're a top executive, or only help you if you this, right? We're talking about the big T here. Mm. And, and that can be, you know, uh, leveraged um, by just about everyone. Um, so that's how, because I'm at the bottom, I'm a scientist, right? I, you know, if I do something, I want to 
like you said, I want to make sure it's part of the big T. Okay, well, let's finish up because we're, we're at about an hour and a half, which is yeah. as long as I <laughs> want to make one of these. That's right. Um, That's but right. we've had a lot of foundational stuff to cover here. Uh, what, I guess we, we've taken people through, um, you know, a lens or a way of looking at things that, that is probably new to them. Uh, being willing to confront the ugliness of what's actually happening and, and showing them, okay, here are some different areas you could look at in that. Uh, what, what then? What, what, what next? Yeah, so the second step is I call it enter new territory, mm -hmm. right? So it's really recognize the powers we actually already have in ourselves, but just not realized. And I, you know, I, I said, I think at the beginning, you know, human beings, especially philosophers have actually been searching for this for centuries. Hmm. And, you know, they've made various attempts and been frustrated, all those things. And I think it's just extremely exciting. I, I believe we have hit the right path in the 20th century. We found a way of combining what is objective and what is subjective and you know and and and, and learn how to um, recognize that and leverage that in real life and that is that's essentially new power it's like a whole new industrialization we just found a new power i'm, I'm not exaggerating here you know, I, I, what I anticipate is that, you know, throughout 21st century, or maybe mm -hmm. even longer, the human race will be unlashing this new power mm -hmm. and change completely the human life as we know it, just like industrialization, industrialization did. Okay. I guess I, 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 uh, you guys, you guys got to see me have a realization a few minutes ago <laughs> in real time about the trust thing um, and that everybody had to be working on it. But uh, I, I think I'm able to formulate this question then, which will be our, our lead out question. So you get to the point where you, you understand this stuff, you're willing to sort of adopt this way of looking at things <clears throat> um, and you see the uh, the oppressed bottom folks in the organization, the stretched middle, the uh, the stressed out top end, etc., pressured from all sides, and that. Um, what do you do with that? Like, should they be rating themselves, or or writing down symptoms, or just kind of going, all right, this I just look and I see it, and we're in the situation we're in. Um, I don't have to get too technical on writing down the details of these things because most of them will blow off as we start to fix them or, yeah. or what? Yeah. So, I mean, this is my experience and my, you know, recommendation to focus as well, right? Don't try to take on too much, mm -hmm. right? Just pick one or two, the kind of challenges that is meaningful to you, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's, you know, I'm just having the hardest time with this person, right? I mean, I have to work with him. I otherwise, you know, I can't do my job. However, it's just so difficult, so painful, right? Or there's, you know, that's, there's just something that's, you know, this ridiculous thing that's been going on forever, and I've 
you know, talk to my boss several times, but he didn't pay attention. I think that just pick one or two of those things that really matters to you, right? And then I'm going to introduce this new tool in the next step and, uh, you know, experiment with it, right? So you've got a problem, you've got a new tool, right? Experiment. All right. So, and that's how you enter new territory. You know, once again, you are tackling something you wasn't able to before, and you're using a tool that you didn't know before. Okay. That's under new territory. Right. All right. And we'll be covering that next time. Well, Dr. Yansong, thank you for sharing all this stuff. Uh, it is, this is, I, I really want this to be the kind of conversation that is rare, right? People are not having it. And I'd like it to be less rare, <laughs> but for the moment, right? I, I, I want people coming to, uh, to this channel or this show to uh, hear these kinds of things where, um, you know, it should, it should be mind expanding and, uh, and give you new tools that you won't encounter. Uh, in other places. So thank you for doing this. And I look forward to our, our next chat, which will be coming up soon. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for tuning in. If you're interested in working with us at Cold Star Tech, here are some of the things that we can help with. There's a lot of people who talk about process, documentation, control, attention to detail, all this stuff. We help organizations become true learning organizations. Remember, if something isn't written down or recorded in some way that's accessible, searchable, findable, it didn't happen. It might as well not have happened. So if you have two people who solve a problem, a serious problem in your organization, but they do so in isolation and nobody finds out about it, which happens all the time, then it didn't really happen and nobody else can access that wisdom. So we unlock wisdom for your organization. We do a lot of things in the space industry. We have access to regulatory and legal officials who can help you if you're a space industry founder find out what areas of regulation and compliance uh, do you need to be you know, working with, compliant with. And we find a lot of folks don't even know about some of these areas. They don't even know that they exist. Can you imagine how you're gonna stumble and stub your toe? and really screw up your organization's timetable if you don't know about these things. So come and talk to us. We've got great relationships with the right people, especially in the United States and in England, and uh, we'll be able to help you with that. And so when it comes to process improvement, whether that's some sort of business documentation, business development rules, wow, have I seen some things in business development. You got founders out there who all they're doing is quoting on projects. This is a mistake. You're wasting your energy bidding on things that most of which you never even had a chance of winning in the first place. Uh, I've seen people bankrupt themselves bidding on everything or bidding on only these uh, high-end things and not realizing that you need to have a strategy so that this bidding process pays for itself. I mean, you got to learn how to screen here. And this is not something that they teach you in school. I, I had to learn it myself, so don't feel bad about it, but come talk to us about it, okay? Uh, so either it's on the business process side or the actual manufacturing of physical goods, that kind of process improvement. You can come talk to us. Can this be done faster, cheaper, better? And yes, most of the time <laughs> it sure can um, because people just do stuff. And the first person to invent the way of doing things uh, is the person who gets to choose most of the time how things are done. This happens all over the place. I like to point out our... Um, 
traffic signals for for automobiles are based on the way that they ran railway traffic 100 years before that, okay? So, and this is key in the space industry right now, which is new, right? This is an area that I personally am interested in. How we figure out how to do stuff today is going to impact generations because people are so easily locked into, this is how we've always done it. And if you hear that at your organization, there's a warning bell. This is how we've always done it. You need to come talk to us at that point, okay? So reach out to us. It's easy to do. Just message me on LinkedIn or email me at jason at coldstartech.com. I want to hear from you. Thanks for listening.